Here's a small part of what's coming up on the Beaver Tales podcast. The most vivid memory that I have of going into that 2006 season is when Kevin on, on national TV said, uh, we're going to be back and, and not only we're going to be back, but we're going to win it. And that kind of took over our team. And, and I know myself, I thought the exact same way. That whole conversation coming right up on this episode. There's a variety of charities that I mentioned on this podcast to use this platform to do good things and to help people out. And I'd like to hear from you. Is there a charity you'd like to mention? Or maybe just a story that happened in your life that would be heartening and inspiring for people to hear. Those are the sorts of things I like to give just a little bit of time to in the middle of this podcast while also hearing from some amazing people involved at Oregon State. So if you'd like to share anything with me along those lines, all you got to do is join the email list for this podcast. Whenever I send an update out, whether about this podcast or the Beaver Tales documentaries that I'm working on, you can respond and let me know any thoughts. I'll respond to you personally. We can start a conversation and let me know anything you'd like to say. There is a link to a website on the beaver tales documentaries you can leave your email right there to join that email list so just check the link in this episode's description click that link drop your email there and we can start a conversation from there and as always if you ever share this podcast with a friend let me know i'll give you a shout out by name on one of the following episodes so hopefully this podcast brings your life just a little bit something extra a little extra love a little extra light each and every episode so now let's get to this episode on the beaver tales podcast This is the Beaver Tales Podcast with Josh Ward, who has covered Oregon State Athletics since 2013. Well, hi again, everybody. I'm Josh Warden on the Beaver Tales Podcast. I talk with former Oregon State athletes to get a taste for what they've done in life since leaving Corvallis, their memories at Oregon State, the things they've learned ever since their collegiate career ended. I'm hoping to stay involved at Oregon State for a long time, and I've had the goal since a kid to be the radio announcer of Oregon State 50 years from now when Mike Barker retires. But overall, I just love Oregon State sports and the stories that have happened all across the campus and beyond of what Oregon State student-athletes have done. As you just heard, there's a big old project I'm doing on the Oregon State baseball team, and the guy I'm talking to today is one of the very important interviews, I think, for this project, Tyler Graham, who not only has a national championship in his own resume, but also being on the staff of the 2018 team. He was the director of player development for Oregon State in 2018. He was also on the 2006 National Championship Squad, the first Beaver Championship Squad in baseball program history at OSU. Tyler's originally from Great Falls, Montana, played in 151 games for OSU, batting 317 during his career. When OSU was in Game 3 of the College World Series Finals, that was in 2006, Tyler Graham was playing center field when the tying run was on third base, the ninth inning, two outs, and Tyler Graham made the game-clinching catch in center field that secured the national title. So his last ever play in an OSU uniform since that was his senior year was winning a national championship. We also talked about the classic play from the eighth inning where North Carolina threw a ball away on a ground ball hit by Ryan Gibson to second base. Bill Rouse scored what would be the winning run that decided the national championship. Tyler Graham was actually on first base on that play. He was running to second, what would have ended the inning. So we talk about that play. Interestingly enough, Ryan Gibson, who I just mentioned, was the one who hit that ground ball, part of the 2006 National Championship team. The news came out about 20 minutes or so after I talked with Tyler, the conversation you're about to hear, that Ryan Gibson was being promoted to assistant coach in the Oregon State baseball team, filling the position that Pat Bailey was vacating. That news really surprised me. I did not see that coming, to be honest. 
I don't have any insider information on the subject, but I will say I have a ton of respect for Pat Bailey. I've had him on this podcast, really love what he's brought to Oregon State, and no matter what he's got in his future or what the Oregon State baseball program does, I wish for the best for Pat Bailey, and I'm sure he'll be successful whatever he goes to. But uh, that's a big deal and big news that I didn't know about when I was talking to Tyler. We did mention Ryan Gibson, but that came out, and I hope the best for Pat Bailey. Now coming back to Tyler Graham, he did move on to a professional career, played eight seasons in pro baseball, made it all the way to the major leagues for the Arizona Diamondbacks, appearing in 10 games back in the 2012 season. He coached at OSU as an undergraduate assistant, then a director of player development. He was also head coach of the Medford Rogues, a summer league team that's now coached by Bill Rao, another one of those 2006 championship players. By the way, shout out to Bill Rao. He did have that alumni game he mentioned on my podcast where he wanted to get former Oregon State players to come play Medford. Well, that happened last week. And Bill played in that game, and Bill Rao pitched a couple of scoreless innings, hit a double. I texted him about it, and he said, yeah, that's every day for me. I can I can still play. I can rip these guys up when I want to. So shout out to Bill Rao for still having it in the bag. He can do it whenever he wants. Now, for Tyler Graham, he was recently hired as a coach in the Texas Rangers organization with their minor league affiliate in Tennessee. That's the Nashville Sounds. That The manager of that team is Darwin Barney, former OSU star. And so Tyler Graham is his assistant although this season was canceled at the beginning of July. So let's jump right into it. Tyler, back in Corvallis now as we chat here on the Beaver Tales podcast. Oregon State national champion Tyler Graham now joins me for this episode. Well, Tyler, thanks for joining me on the Beaver Tales podcast. Looks like you've come back to Corvallis when you thought you'd be in Nashville this summer. How are you doing today and what brings you back to Oregon? I'm doing great. Um, yeah, it was kind of uh, it was kind of a weird thing going to spring training and getting sent back home right in the middle of it, uh, right when we kind of got all of our guys and, and got our team assembled. Um, I'm just starting to get to know them, and then and then we were we were turned around and, and back home. So I think it was something that none of us really expected and and were ready for. But it's something that all of us, not only as coaches but everyone in the country, has kind of had to adapt to to this new deal of of you know being kind of isolated and and not really um, knowing what's going to happen in the future and it's it's been tough for everybody but you know if you can find a way to keep your mind busy and keep yourself busy during these times I think it's it's a big advantage for everyone. When you came back to Gravalis what does a, a day in the life of Tyler Graham look like now? You know I, I fish a lot I love the outdoors so um, at this time I've, I've really taken advantage of of getting out on the river and, and fishing and hunting and stuff like that and and just being able to enjoy the outdoors and um I know we're supposed to social distance so it's a perfect time to to be away from people in the city and and just enjoy um the outdoors uh you know playing baseball and having all your summers taken up uh, not only playing but coaching as well you you don't really get the opportunity to to enjoy the outdoors during summer months um if you're a baseball player or a baseball coach so it has actually been kind of a blessing, um, this deal of, of getting to experience um, the outdoors during the summer months. And uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun and, and been uh, very peaceful and relaxing and kind of meditative. You would have been able to, to coach with the sounds of summer whenever that may happen, whether that just be next spring or whatever it may, may be. We'll, we'll figure that out as time goes along and get a coach with Darwin Barney and all that fun stuff. But uh, you have already had some coaching experience, obviously, with Oregon State and your whole your whole professional career. So when you think back to your 
minor league debut as a player. What do you remember from, from that moment, either that first game or the first season that might help you in your minor league debut as a coach, whenever that may come up? You know, I think the biggest, the biggest thing we can, we can relate to these players as, as new professional players is that, you know, because all of them have a big league dream and dreams of playing in the big leagues and, and getting further than just playing in the minor leagues. And, and I remember specifically and um, very vividly the, the first couple of days, I remember thinking like, like that the big leagues was so far away and it seemed like it was so far out of your reach that it just, it wasn't really something that could happen, even though you, you still believed it in your head. Um, the reality was it just seems so far away and and the actual reality of that is it's not that far away if if you can stick to us to certain things and keep your mind focused on the things that you need to keep focused on and uh, that would be my biggest advice to to incoming pro ball players is, is that the big leagues is, is not that far away even though it seems you know hundreds of years away and it's it's really not if, if you just stay consistent and uh, if, if I think if if we would have known some of that information when we were young professional players, I think it, it, things could have changed maybe a little bit differently for some of us and maybe not. But I think that would have been information that I would have loved to know and, and just been reassured that, uh, that you don't have to play amazing to make it to the big leagues. You just have to play consistently. Right. And you did stay with it and stuck with it for years and did get a stint in major leagues. Take me back to that moment, getting the call, realizing you'd be able to, to put on a major league uniform and, and realizing I did stick it out and get to the, the big leagues. Yeah, you know, the, the, the time that I made it to the big leagues, it, I, I would say it was more of a relief than, than an excitement. Um, I believed in myself the entire time I was in the minor leagues. And I think that's probably one of the reasons I stuck it out for so long without making it to the big leagues is I always knew that I could play in the big leagues. And I believed that wholeheartedly and I wasn't going to stop until it happened. And, and uh, I had gone through so many different adversities throughout my career with injuries and, and getting knocked down and just having to pick myself back up. And, and it was hard because when you're on the road and pro ball, you don't have your family around, your friends around, you don't have your support system and, and you kind of have to do it on your own. So you have to kind of dig deep within and, and figure out who you really are and, and what you really want. And you got to go for it. And, and those times are tough when, when things aren't going good, when you're, when you're 0 for 44 and three for 49 and eight for 52 in different seasons. Um, it seems even, even more impossible for, to accomplish your dream, but, but yeah, it was, it was definitely more of a relief. Um, I was on the 40 man that year to start off the year with the giants and I broke my shoulder the fifth game of the season with Fresno and AAA. And uh, it was another discouraging moment, but I still felt, I still felt good. And I still felt good about my opportunities to make it. And, and I was taken off the 40 men with the Giants um, a couple of weeks later when I was injured and, and got picked up with the Diamondbacks. And, and when I signed with the Diamondbacks, they guaranteed me a big league call up. So I kind of knew going into that with the Diamondbacks that I was going to get called up. But uh, things still didn't go as planned uh, throughout the season. I was supposed to be healthy earlier than I was. And um, I came back. Um, the shoulder didn't really heal. And I had to get a couple of cortisone shots to be able to play. And I came back for a month and still didn't play that much in that month. And so I was still kind of concerned whether they were going to hold up uh, the, the, on their, on their word with, with going to calling me up in September. And uh, just with, with the way things went that, that month in August, I had three um, very good big leaguers right now playing in front of me. And it wasn't that it was just a tough lineup to crack. And I was still, um, I hadn't played all year and it was just, there was still some uncertainty there. So when I, when I did get that, get that invitation to come into the manager's office at the end of the game I knew it was going to happen and and that's when the relief kind of set in 
Yeah. It's uh, every person has their own career arc and story and every, and every single one's unique. And now you get to see, you know, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of pro careers unfold in front of you as a coach and, and play a role and helping them mature and learn the same lessons that you learned. Let's go back chronologically a little bit to your time playing at Oregon state and talk about 2006 and finishing out with, a national championship, a moment that I'm sure you think about a lot. I went back and watched a little bit of that, that broadcast game three against North Carolina. Let's go to the eighth inning because that's one of the main moments people think of Ryan Gibson bouncing a ball to second base. Brian Sneed throws a ball, you know, pass and, and Bill Rao, who I've had on this podcast, by the way, scores. And that's the go ahead run. Since you were on first base, running towards second, you may have been about the only guy in the park who wasn't looking at the ball as it's getting thrown towards the first base dugout. So it's not so much what did you see in that moment, but what did you hear as that ball is being thrown away? Um, I mean, the, the crowds are always big in Omaha, and that's, that's the exciting part about playing in Omaha is playing in front of, of that many people. And, and they definitely let you know when something bad happens. And there was kind of a gasp in the stands, and you could tell, and that's when you probably, probably turned my head and looked. Um, to see that the ball uh, didn't make it to first base, and and uh, and that that was a cool game because we had to play perfect. Um, that series, we we really didn't have a lot of pitching left, and North Carolina had two frontline first round arms, um, and then the third guy I think was an All American. So we had our hands full um, going into that series, but uh, that was probably the coolest part, just knowing that that we had our our backs against the wall and and we did something that everyone else thought was impossible. In the ninth inning when North Carolina got a runner on base, he gets all the way to third, nearly had the double play that ended it, but then it's two outs, a guy in third. Had it occurred to you or were you thinking, hey, I might be the one, was that going on on your mind? Oh, I could be the guy to catch the final out. Was that going through your mind before that ball was hit the center field? Yeah, the only thing going through my mind is hit me the ball. Like I wanted the ball. And I think every player should want the ball in that situation. And, and obviously, as an outfielder, it's a, it, you're not as scared to make an error as an infielder would be because I've, I've played both. And, and I definitely probably would have been a lot more nervous as an infielder than I would have been as an outfielder. I wasn't nervous at all uh, being an outfielder, but I definitely would have been nervous as an infielder, um, even on a routine play, just because it's such a big, big uh, big time of the game and, and such a monumental thing for our program and, and just uh, but no I, I remember thinking hit me the ball I want the ball I want the ball and hit me the ball and, and luckily enough it did. As you were running to it and catch it can you describe even how much of it stuck in your mind so much of it I'm sure it was a blur and just a feeling of wow I really caught the ball this national championship is ours. You know, you're not you're not really thinking of anything about the future, the past, or the ramifications of it at the time. You're you're just kind of focused and in the moment at the time, and just thinking about just getting ready for the play and reacting to what happens. And and I did I lost the ball for it was kind of at the time where there's twilight, where it kind of just starts to get dark. And I remember losing the ball for for kind of a couple of seconds. It's kind of like it gets lost in the sun. Um, there's always like an inning or two in, in every night game that, that if the ball is hit to you, you always lose it for a couple seconds. I always did in center field um, at that twilight stage. And, but if you, if you keep your eyes on it, just like with a sun ball, it, it always comes out. And uh, if you're in the, in the vicinity of it, you're always able to catch it. So I, wasn't, I don't ever remember getting nervous that I lost it. Um, I just remember staying with it, and it, it came back out. And, uh, and that's when I knew the game was over. Yeah, lost it for a second. That's amazing to keep your composure. Once you did catch it 
and you get hounded by guys in the outfield. What, did you end up hanging on to that ball? Where, where did it go in the, I mean, did you, could you even hold on to it in the dog pile? Do you still have it or what happened to that ball? Where yeah, the, I still, I still have the ball. Yeah. It's at my house. Okay. Put it on a pedestal or anything? Or, I, or just, no, no, it's just sitting in a drawer. Um, <laughs> I think I gave it to Tanner Sanders. He was our bat boy to hold on to um, while we were celebrating. And then he had a, a career in three different sports at Oregon State, so he, he would have taken care of it, and that's good he got it back guy. to you. A, a true beaver. Yeah. One last question, just on your playing career, whether it be of 2006, the North Carolina series, anything before that, when you're talking with Bill Rao or Kevin Gunderson or whoever, whatever teammates it may be or coaches, what's a story that has come up most often? Maybe just the last one that you talked about with one of those guys. What, what's a funny anecdote that you tend to, to bring up and joke about with the guys? You know, I don't think we talk about it too much anymore about any, any funny stories. We kind of remember what happened, but the most vivid memory that I have of going into that 2006 season is when Kevin on, on national TV said, uh, we're going to be back. And, and not only we're going to be back, but we're going to win it. And I, I think for him to be bold enough to, to say what we were all thinking was, was huge for all of us to, to know that, to know that everybody felt that way, but he had the, he had the, he had the balls to, to actually say that out loud. And that kind of took over our team. And, and I, I know myself, I thought the exact same way. And I know Kevin did, and I know the rest of our team did, and I think that's a reason why we had so much success. Because no matter what, whether we were ranked in the top 50 or the top 20 or the top 10, it, it didn't really matter to the, that team. We knew we were good, and we knew we could, we we were going to do special things, and and we all believe that. And I think that mindset came from came from Coach Casey, and we we all bought into that mindset, and we all had that same exact mindset. And uh, it's still very hard to be successful and win championships with that. But without it, I think it's nearly impossible. Yeah, let's come back to coaching at Oregon State because you finished your career in 06, come back as an undergraduate assistant and director of player development. And one of the things that I've talked about with the players, I even had Alan Jager and, and talked to him for like an hour and got to chat with him about his impact on the team and, and his a philosophy on baseball and meditation and, and he talked about you definitely a lot of the players have as well and one of the things that they brought up most is the meditation sessions you know finding a mental process developing the non-physical side of baseball so in, in those sessions if we should call it that I think it was in the players lounge what was your role and what do you do in those moments where you've got a handful of guys together before a practice or before a game yeah, so it's very simple. Uh, I, I started to meditate on my own um, through a, a guy that I used to play with, uh, got trained in transcendental meditation and taught me um, a year before I started talking to the guys about it. And, and it took away my anxiety and it, it really helped out um, just with, with staying focused and, and keeping yourself in the present moment, which all of us um, naturally um, can't really do because of all the thoughts we get and how we can't control them. So all I would do is we would go into the, the players lounge and they would lay down on the ground for 15 minutes and I would just guide them through a 15 minute meditation, um, breathing, just breathing and, and focusing on relaxing the body and, and just focusing on their breath and, and just to, just to not, just to let them know that thoughts are going to be there and that we're not going to talk to the thoughts. We're not going to react to them. We're not going to push them away. We're just going to simply, know that they're there and redirect our attention to, to our breath or, or to our body. And then when we get to the game, when we get those negative thoughts of whether I can't strike out or I can't walk a guy, I got to get a hit, I have to get the job done. 
when we get any of those thoughts, whether we're in the field and we're pitching or we're in the batter's box, we now have an in-game tool to, to slowly and calmly redirect from those negative thoughts or thoughts that we can't control to something that we want to think about. And that, that is the mental process. And they all come up with their, their own word or, or two words that, that, that they want to think about um, religiously and, and all day when they're playing in the game. And so it was just, it was just a way to, to give them a tool um, to in game to redirect their attention when, when something bad happened. And uh, the ones that did it, um, I felt got a, a lot out of it and uh, were a lot better because of it. What was the script, if you will, for that 15 minutes, the agenda and what you would say, what exercises you would have them do? What, what did that 15 minutes really look like practically? So that 15 minutes came from a 25 minute meditation from Alan. And basically what I did, um, I just, I listened to the, to the 25 minute meditation and I kind of, I wrote down pretty much word for word what Alan would say in those meditations. And I just kind of shortened it up into a 15 minute piece because it, it, it's tough for beginning kids to meditate for 25 minutes. I, I think 20 minutes is probably the, the ideal amount of time each session you should meditate, but if you can do it for 10 to 15 minutes, I think that's uh, very beneficial as well. So uh, a lot of these guys hadn't done it before. And uh, so I wanted to make it a little bit, you know, a little bit shorter so they, so they wouldn't freak out and they, they, would, they would be able to learn it um, without having to stay focused for so long. So I basically just copy and pasted exactly what Alan said or says in his 25 minute guided meditations and, and just shorten it up. And then I would just talk him through and you start out with, uh, you know, 10 deep breaths. Um, and then you focus, uh, you focus on your body and, and just relaxing every piece of your body and going through um, from your feet to your head, just getting everything relaxed and then um, going back to the breath again. And then um, once they got good at that, then we would start to start to visualize things, visualize their, their stance, visualize, um, different counts they're in, different like different uh, pitches they're going to throw, and then visualize uh, the thoughts that they were going to have, and visualize different situations. And uh, we would just keep kind of advancing um, the mental practice, um, um, basically based on you know how advanced or how good they were at the actual meditation, and how long they'd been doing it. Yeah, you had mentioned a word or two that they may repeat to themselves. I'm not sure if this is is that exact same thing, but I remember Kyle Novak telling the story of him hitting the home run against Washington and him telling himself, I'm a beast, I'm a beast. Mm -hmm. and that he would repeat that to himself. Uh, what, what was an example of another phrase or word or two, a different player, maybe one or two players, if you remember anyone else, what they would repeat to themselves? Yeah, like Abel's was stand tall, commit. Chamberlain's was breath, dominate down. Gretler's on defense was breath, um, relax and react. Larnick's, you know, was, was med ball left center. Um, some guys are slow and early. Some guys are see it, stay middle. Um, it's basically you ask the kid, um, you know, when you had the best game of your life, what were a couple things that you were thinking or what were you feeling? And, and then the kid comes up with a couple words that if they think this or these two things or one thing, then they, they're going to give themselves the best chance to have the best game of their life or, or best chance to throw the best pitch to their life each pitch if they, if they think these two words or this one word. And then the breath at the beginning of it is just to kind of reset from the negative thought that they might have got. Maybe an umpire called a, called a ball when he threw it right down the middle and the pitcher gets frustrated. Instead of getting back on the mound frustrated, your heart rate goes up and then keep continuing to throw the ball with a high heart rate. Um, basically, the breath just gives you a reset button. They step out of the box or they step off the mound. 
you know, a hitter looks at their bat and takes a breath, a pitcher, um, you know, picks out something in the outfield, whether it's the flagpole, whether it's the center field wall, whether it's the scoreboard, they pick out something, a, a spot in the outfield, they take a deep breath, they reset, and then they get back on the mound, they take another breath, say their two words and pitch. So the goal is to just constantly be in, in the thoughts that the player says that when they think these things, they have the best chance to be the best player they can be. And then, and then we work on practicing that every day in practice. So bottom line is the meditation is the outer practice practice for the in-game process. And uh, we have practices for backhands. We have practices for swings. We have practices for throwing different pitches. We have practices for footwork. We have practice, practices for all kinds of physical things that we deal with in a game. But what we're missing out on, I think, um, around, the, around the world and around the country is really focusing on a daily practice of the mind. And I think every coach and every player agrees that the mind is the most important thing to success. But then if that's the case, then we need to find a way to not only, to not only um, develop a daily practice for that, but to teach these kids, like teach them what the mental game is and then develop a daily practice, just like we would do with the physical side. We would, we would, uh, we'd, we'd uh, find a problem, whether, whether it was a mechanical problem with their swing or we'd find maybe their footwork isn't good on defense or maybe they're, they're flying open with their front side pitching. So then we teach them how to do it right. And then we develop a daily, a daily routine to fix that problem. And I, and I think we need to do that same thing with the mental game. And, and I know um, from experience that, that a lot of people don't, don't have a daily practice to focus on on the mind and i think that is it is very very important to success and it's very important not only for for sports but for life in general and uh and the kids that do it have have seen um great results and i i hope that uh that more kids can can start to do it as well do you remember a moment especially from the 2018 college world series where one of the guys had a particular phrase they were repeating them to themselves, something they'd worked on so much in the meditation sessions. And you saw that come to fruition, a particular at bat or a particular pitch. And you saw, wow, if it wasn't for the meditation sessions, that wouldn't have happened. Or that guy's grown so much, any particular game or moment for a guy on the Beaver team. You know, all of them had, had awesome results with it, but I would say the last guy to, to have the results was Kevin Abel. And, and I know, if you watch Kevin Abel's um, production, you know, at the beginning of the season and, and to the middle of the season, he was in his own head. And, and like he says, at the end of the year, um, I don't, I don't throw any harder. I don't have any more pitches, but I focused on my mind and the mental game and, and that took him to the top. Um, so I'd say Kevin, Kevin was probably, he was the last guy that we needed. Um, you know, you know, we needed him and Chamberlain because the rest of the pitchers were pretty, had a good mind and, and were mentally strong enough to compete and have success at that level and on that stage. And uh, Chamberlain and, and, you know, Abel were freshmen. And, and that's a big stage for a freshman, no matter how talented you are. So as, as Kevin developed his process with Allen, um, the stand tall commit, um, you started to see just him just go up that mountain slowly and surely. And uh, from, from the time that he got that to the, to the end of the season was, was remarkable and how far he went. Um, if you saw his face on the mound and how composed he was, it was like he was playing a video game. His mouth was closed. He was calm. His, his heart rate was down. He wasn't stressed out. And, and he stayed, he was able to, and, and some kids can be like that for a couple pitches or a couple innings, but he was able to sustain that for the entire game. And, and that's when, you know, you finally have conquered the mental game and without him buying into, 
and, and accepting uh, what Allen had to say to him. And um, I don't know if we win that World Series, you know, I, I really don't. And it, it doesn't take one person to win it, but he was obviously a, a guy that we desperately needed to, to do what he did to win it and give us a chance. And he did exactly that. But uh, and then all the hitters, um, if you watch their faces in the game, they're all very calm. They're very quiet. They weren't stressed out. Um, I think Zach Taylor is another really um, great story on, on how the mental game affected him. I know that he dealt with stress and high anxiety and, and didn't, you know, wasn't as talented as the rest of those kids on that team, but found a way, you know, to, to not only play, but to be in the starting lineup and, and be a huge impact in those big games. And uh, without him walking and I think the eighth inning to get Caden up, um, we also might not win that game. So um, all the guys that did it um, did great, but, but yeah, I would say that, that Abel and, and, uh, and, and Zach and, and even Kyle, because Kyle is such a high strung guy. Um, um, I think if, if you talk to him and, and he's very, very into the mental game and the meditation and teaching the mental game now, and cause it, he knows how much it affected him as well. So I think Kyle is another great person to look at with what the mental game can do for you. Let's finish with just a thought coming back to you, your coaching arc. We've touched on a couple of things that you've learned within baseball and how you've grown as a player and now as a coach and seeing other people develop in that same career arc. But as you've learned how you've been, you know, I'm sure you've changed as a person from when you were 18 years old and arrived on campus at Oregon State in more ways than just as an athlete. What's some area of your life where you've grown beyond baseball as a person, beyond athletics, some, some way that you, you know, realize something important about yourself when you were no longer an athlete and you couldn't just look to, I'm a baseball player and that's what I do. And that what's, that's what makes me valuable and important to my friends or people around me. How have you grown as a person without being a baseball player and something beyond sports itself? You know, I think the most important thing after baseball is, is to find a purpose, something that drives you and that, that motivates you and, and gives you something to do when you wake up every day. And for me, that was to give back to, to players. And, and, you know, I didn't know if I was kind of like Coach Casey. I remember always saying that he, he had no plans to coach after pro ball because you're kind of discouraged at the end of it. Uh, you're kind of turned off with it because it turns into a business and, and it's not a fun-loving game anymore And at times. Um, as much as it was in college and high school and little league. And, um, and, and, and once I came back to coach that first year, you can see that even if you only make an impact with a couple kids, that was enough for me to, to know that this was what I wanted to do and, and, and that I wanted to, to impact kids in a positive way. And, and I think coaching is about teaching these kids through everything that you did wrong, not what you did right. Cause I think all these kids know that, that we were good players and that we were successful in our careers but they don't want to hear about what, what average we had or, you know, how many bases we stole or how hard we threw or how many diving catches we made or how many game winning hits they want to, they want to know like what we did wrong and what did we do to fix it? What do we do to get better? And what are the struggles that we went through? So um, I think when you can, you can start to, to redirect and, and teach from a perspective of failure instead of success. Um, that's when my perspective kind of changed um, as a coach and, and just to know that as a, as a player, you're pretty selfish and you want a lot of things for yourself. And as a coach, um, it's completely opposite. You're doing, you're doing everything for the players instead of for yourself. And it, it's almost more rewarding as a coach because you have, you know, you have 27 chances to get a hit. You feel like you're 27 chances to, to, to get an out on the mound because you feel like you have a, every single coach on the staff around the country has a little part in all of those kids 
own careers, you know, and you, you feel like you're a part of them when, when they're out in the field. And that's the cool part about coaching is that when you go for four as a player, you only get those four at bats, but, but you get, you know, everybody's at bats when you're a coach. Um, and, but it can go opposite as well. And when, when the kids are struggling, you feel their pain inside and when they're doing well, you feel their excitement. So it's a, it's a roller coaster, but it's a roller coaster that, uh, that I want to stay on and, until I'm done until I can't walk anymore. Really great to hear from Tyler Graham to talk about a national championship that he had won and a national championship he saw on the staff in 2018. He's now the 22nd interview I've conducted for this documentary project I'm working on. Again, that audio documentary project coming out later this year, narrating through the postseason of the 2018 college baseball season for Oregon State in particular. Learn more at the link in the description. Uh, Email me back. Just sign up for the email updates at that link. Just check the episode description that you're listening to right now. Click that link and leave your email there. Plenty more episodes upcoming on the Beaver Tales podcast. Got my first golfer coming up. We also go back to football for a little bit and plenty more as well until next time everybody good night and go beefs